Welcome. You're listening to The Aligned Self, conversations in creating a conscious and abundant life. This is Daniel DeNovi. I'll be your guide and host. Let's see just where we can take this. Hello, friend, and welcome back to the conversation. In today's episode, I'm going to visit one of the quotes that I was first introduced to when I was very, very young, in my teens. Now, if you're new to the podcast, I typically feature a quote that has been meaningful to me or that I think would be meaningful to you, and we dive deeper about what that quote could mean and how you could utilize it in your life. Now, the quote that we're going to talk about today comes from the father of philosophy, (laughs) considered by many to be one of the smartest philosophers, and that is Socrates. Now, to set the context for this quote, when I was 13 years old, when I was in the eighth grade, the school counselor, Fred Smith, was substituting for the English teacher, and he was just standing at the front of the room, and I And I walked up past him to put that day's assignment on the desk. And as I was walking by him, he says, Daniel, who are you? Now, this question was just out of the blue. And it kind of caught me off guard. And I I stumbled. Like, how do you answer that question? Who are you? I said, well, I'm, I'm me. And he goes, no, no, no. Who are you? And I thought for a second, I said, I, 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 I guess I don't really know. He says, figure it out. Almost like Larry the Cable Guy, figure it out. That question was one of those trance-inducing moments. It was a moment of confusion, and I really thought I needed to figure it out. And so that question has been orienting my life ever since. Well, a couple years later, when I was a sophomore in high school, I became very interested in Greek mythology and Greek philosophers. And this is when I was first exposed to the work of Socrates, One of Socrates' quotes is, an unexamined life is not worth living. An unexamined life is not worth living. Now, when I first read that, I thought two things. One, that seems kind of harsh, you know, not worth living. And it made me wonder, is that really true? And then I made the connection. Oh, maybe this is what Fred Smith was talking about when he asked me the question, who are you? And so I began contemplating the meaning of this quote. What does it mean to examine one's life? And what is the real benefit of doing that? Well, in order for a human being to begin examining their life, they have to engage in self-reflection. Now, over the years, I've come to realize that human beings appear to be one of the only species to have the ability to self-reflect or exercise the self-reflexive consciousness, where we can actually look at our thoughts, experience our thoughts from an outside position or outside point of view. And in that self-reflection, we can begin ascertaining, why do I think the thoughts that I think? Why do I believe what I believe? Or what do I choose to believe? Who do I choose to become? You see, the flip side of this in not asking these questions means that I'm living from a reactive point of view, that I am merely reacting to life. I'm not really consciously engaged with life. And so through this process of self-examination, we can actually be present in the moment as a witness to our life. And if we're not reacting, then we are consciously choosing our response. It elevates our experience of life to a whole new level. 
Now, I can pretty much assume that if you're listening to this podcast, you are one of those individuals that is engaged in self-reflection. You're interested in knowing who you are. You're interested in knowing more about your life and how to exercise conscious control over your life. Those individuals that have surrendered to their reactive nature, I don't think they're going to be the ones that seek this type of uh, conversation out. What do you think? So as we begin thinking more about this whole process of self-examination, I'm going to lay down five different activities that you could engage in in uh, exercising more self-examination. First and foremost is identifying. And this is something that a lot of people just don't do. And if you do it, you're going to be in the top one and a half percent. That process is identifying your guiding principles, your values. Once you identify your values, then you start orienting your behavior around those items, those principles by which you consider the most important to be lived by a human being. These principles unify your behavior. They unify your mind. They unify, they're the organizing principle by which you can organize your self-concept. Identifying your guiding principles is the first thing that I lead people through in my signature coaching program, The Aligned Self. So if you're not really familiar with values, what might be some values that you could consider putting on your list? I'll give you a short list of my values. First and foremost, at the very top of my list is love. Love, unconditional love, is a guiding principle for who I am. Other things on my list of values is personal growth, leadership, honesty, honor, curiosity, and creativity. And then also on my list is connection and community. Now, something that a lot of people put on their list that they say they value is relationship, their relationship. And from my perspective, that is not yet specific enough. Because merely having a relationship doesn't say anything about the quality of that relationship. We typically want a relationship for who we get to be and what we get to express inside that relationship. Merely having a relationship isn't enough because just hanging out or connecting with another person, any other person, is a relationship. You are relating to another. And you can relate to fear. You can relate to success. You can relate to other aspects of your life. So it's who are you? Who do you get to be inside that dynamic? Now, for me, inside an intimate relationship, what does that make possible? I get to express love. I get to also receive love. I get to be open for communication. I get to grow and expand. I get to be curious about my partner. And if I continue to live in that curiosity, then I will never stand in this idea that I really know who they are. I'm always trying to find out or uncover who are they today in relationship to who they were presenting the day before. Now, with that said, there is a value there that I need to express, and that is constancy. There's a certain amount of constancy that we like inside our intimate relationships. Because, I mean, if someone was different every time you encountered them, that would be just a little unsettling. So there's a certain amount of constancy that you rely on, yet you can embrace the curiosity on on growing and finding out even more, going even deeper, becoming even more intimate. You see, all these expressions inside the relationship are things that I value. 
And so if I was to merely say, I value a relationship or my relationship, say with my wife or my family, that would not be specific enough. So I could talk for hours about values, how to create values, how to identify values, how to define your values, how to place them in a hierarchy. And and so there's a lot to discuss here. And so if I just introduce you to the idea right now that it's valuable to establish your values in your process of self-examination, then there's one thing that you can put on your list to investigate. And of course, we will investigate this deeper down the road. Another thing on your list for self-examination is to identify the roles that you play inside your life. So some people say, I'm a mother or I'm a father. That is not a source of identity. It is a role that you participate in. And in participating in that role, there are criteria that you get to express inside that role. Other roles you get to play is that of a boss or an employee, a leader, a follower, a lover, explorer. These are different roles. These are ways you can express yourself in the world, actually express your values or your principles. Another question of self-examination is what do you want your life to stand for? This is where I differ from a lot of people, a lot of coaches, and that is I believe we choose our destination. We choose our purpose. We don't find it. We don't find it laying around somewhere. We get to choose how we want to invest our life. What problem, what situation, what mission is worthy of your life? I do not think this should be oriented around a job or a career but should be more so oriented around who you get to be in the performance of your career, in the performance of your job, in in the performance or your engagement in your relationships, choosing who you want to be for the world. Another perspective on self-examination is by the time you're 20, 25, you've lived enough life where you've suffered some traumas, and I consider a trauma a misperception about who you are in relationship to your life. You see, there are events that are potentially traumatic, but not necessarily traumatic across the board for every person. How we perceive an event can make it traumatic to us. A traumatic event or a trauma that we take on alters our perception of who we are, alters our perception of our sense of safety in the world. It's a story of woundedness that we tend to perpetuate and forecast out into the world. Said another way, we take a past event and we use it as a defining moment on who we are going to be from that point forward. And in many ways, I think that is a misperception. It's a misperception about who we are and what's possible for our life. And this is not to say that you did not experience some egregious event. And in the context of self-examination, ask yourself the question, am I reacting from this event Or am I choosing how I want to respond in the face of this event? Which story am I choosing to tell? Am I telling the story of my woundedness or am I telling the story of my healing, the story of my victory? Another self-examination process that I actually wandered into haphazardly, but in reflection found great value in, is that of listing all your joys and basically all your likes and all your dislikes. When I was 16 or 17, I went to a youth retreat, and there I met a really cute girl. 
Her name was Lori, and I just became so enamored by her. We were kissy face and holding hands and just hanging out that entire weekend every chance we could get. And while we both lived in the same state, we actually lived over 250 miles apart from each other. And since at the time I really didn't have a car that I could confidently call my own, the prospect of me visiting her was unlikely. And so we decided that we were going to be pen pals for a while. This is pre-internet, so we were writing letters. And so in attempt for her to get to know me, she asked me a question. Give me a list of everything that you like and everything that you don't like. And I have to tell you, I was really touched that someone wanted to know that about me. And so I started writing down everything that I could think of that I really liked, that I really liked, that I loved. I like the smell of a new car. I like campfires. I like girls in short miniskirts. I was listing everything. And then what didn't I like? I didn't like baked beans. Can't stand baked beans. I didn't like people that complained. And I'm not particularly fond of those days that are both damp and cold. I really relish being on the beach, a sandy beach, and especially on the beach of Lake Michigan. I'm also fond of the Sleeping Bear Dunes. And so I listed different places, different activities, different things that I really loved, and then more, more of a smattering of things that I really didn't like. And every time I listed something that I didn't like, I listed the opposite of that, something I did like, which seemed to balance it out. I didn't realize it at the time, but I think that's a very valuable exercise. Anytime you state something that you don't like, or that you don't want, talk about the opposite of that. So even though this was at the request of someone else, in me writing the list, it was very valuable in me looking at myself, what kinds of activities, what kinds of things did I want to make sure that I had in my life on a regular basis? Because I wanted to lean towards those things that I love and appreciate, right? Of course. And that brings me to the other idea, is identifying those things, those attributes of life that you love and appreciate. Create a gratitude process or a gratitude practice. In the interest of self-examination, this makes you present to those things that you love and appreciate about your life. This gratitude practice could be expanded into a journaling practice. Now, I have to admit, I've always wanted to be a journaler, to have a journal where I write down all my thoughts, and I have done that on occasion. But I tend to work things out in my head. I don't necessarily need to write it down. Now, writing does clarify your thinking. And so when I really want to get clear about something, I will write it out. The nice thing about journaling is by using a prompt or a question to dig deeper in your own psyche gives you the ability to answer the question from a reflexive or reflective point of view, where you're a witness on your thoughts. And through this process, you can also investigate subpersonalities, aspects of ourselves that seem to be in conflict or not necessarily on the same page. We can connect to a different aspect and talk about the intentions or write about the intentions of this part or subpersona that is within us. Each and every person on the planet has a conglomeration of different subcomponents or parts or subpersonalities which make up the whole. We are multidimensional beings. And what I found interesting in my investigation of subpersonalities, I'm writing a book and I have a coaching program. I've done <laughs> lots of case studies, over 300 hours of conversations with subpersonalities. And what I found interesting is that there's typically a dominant subpersonality which expresses itself as you, but it is only an aspect of you. It thinks it's in charge. 
And this is why when this part creates an intention or some big goal, sometimes you experience self-sabotage or procrastination. There's parts of you that don't really want to go along with the program or don't think you can do it. And so it becomes an internal conversation. And so because every person has a conglomeration about 10 to 12 different subpersonalities, and some of these parts can be our inner child or aspects of our younger self that have been left behind or um, not necessarily brought forward, reflecting on these different aspects and becoming aware of what makes up you, who makes up you, is a process of self-examination. Now, something I didn't talk about, and I probably should have talked about it earlier in the podcast, right after I talked about guiding principles and values, is ascertaining which of your behaviors, which of your habits are not in alignment with what you consider most important. What seems to be in conflict or is incongruent with how or who you want to be. And then this can also lead into an investigation on what do you believe? Why do you believe what you believe? Where do these beliefs come from? How did they make their way into your psyche? If you had a choice, would you choose these beliefs or would you choose different beliefs? Because ultimately, a belief is just a concept of mind. It's just an idea that we've adopted along the way that we feel at the time we're relatively certain that it's true or it could be true. And I don't know about you, but I know for myself, I've had a number of beliefs over the years that were erroneous or false, even though at the time, earlier in my life, I thought they were true. I lived as if they were true. But I was able to adopt a different belief, which liberated me, opened things up, eliminated limitation, set me on a whole new course. Now, there's a number of other activities and processes and exercises that you could engage in to delve deeper in self-examination. But I think that's enough for now. It gives, kind of rounds it out. So the value in doing this in self-examination is that you become present to your life. You're actually engaged in your life in a way that provides more texture, nuance, subtle distinctions in your living and allows you to express yourself even more. If you think about a person that is completely reacting to life, they're not choosing their response. They're living from past programming and many times programming that they're not even consciously aware of. They don't even know sometimes why they're doing the things that they're doing. And as a consequence, they miss many of the subtle distinctions, nuances of being alive. They're just not present to it. They're not aware of it because they're caught up operating from their unconscious patterns. As you discover, as you unleash who you really are through your own self-examination, you become more loving. Your connections are deeper. You get to experience life in a whole new way. Your conscious awareness about life continues to expand. Now, I've said before, one of my favorite quotes of all times is the ceiling to your potential is determined the moment you say, I can't. But I've been thinking even more about what determines when I say I can't. Well, that is determined by my self-concept. My self-concept determines my capacity. It determines how much I think I can do, just what is possible for me. And so ultimately, it's not when I say I can't. My self-concept, my self-identity determines everything about my life. It determines all possibility. And if that goes unexamined, then I see what Socrates meant. It is a life not worth living. So my friend, I want to thank you for joining me 
on this journey of self-discovery. And until next time, this is Daniel Danovi urging you to follow your bliss. Live your life from inner signals, be inner direct, and you have to look inside to know what those are as you engage in the epic adventure. (laughs) 